I wanted to sing that, but they wouldn't let me, so we laid it in behind the PowerPoint slide. Um, I want to let you know, this gentleman right here next to me is Darren Kroger. He is from IDES, and last week we did something that was pretty successful, and it's called the mashup. It's the, the illustration mashup, and at times during my message today, I'm going to kind of give Darren a signal. It'll look like this, and he's going to start talking. What makes it unique, for those of you who weren't here last Sunday, is that uh, Darren and I talked once, and that was Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so prior to that, he just knew he was coming to Huntsville to share about IDES and to have some things ready uh, to share. So uh, again, in prayer and fasting and things like that, we're counting on God to just bring this all full circle. Um, the mashup is going to be really cool. So Darren's got some things he's going to share. Today we're talking about Paul's adventures and missions. You, to the lay person, that would be Paul's three missionary journeys. Uh, so I just want to set that up. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. We're going to pretty much hang out in the book of Acts this morning. <clears throat> in particular, you can turn to Acts chapter 7. We'll start there. Uh, here's, here's some things I want to share with you. The New Testament records Paul taking three missionary journeys. And as he did that, he spread the message of Christ to Asia Minor and Europe. He did that without an airplane. He did that without, you know, a monorail or a car or fast-moving transportation. And he did that well. He was a well-educated man. He started his life, if you will, as a leading Jew. His name was Saul. He lived in Jerusalem, and just after Christ's death and resurrection, Saul did his very best to destroy the Christian church. He even participated in the execution of the first Christian martyr, named Stephen. We're going to read about that right now in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the... And what they heard was Stephen giving his testimony and speaking about Christ, okay? And they were angry. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears. Clearly, they were done listening. And they began yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The Bible tells us that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began his mission to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Hey, can you imagine that? You're in your house and then... Saul just shows up and said, I'm taking you to jail. What for? Because you were in church this morning. It doesn't happen here, but it does happen in some places. You know, it's ironic, though, how things work out for us. It takes Saul, for example. He's known for prosecuting the early Christians. He spends all this time door to door, dragging them out, taking them to jail, if you will. He had, he had letters of, of persecution, basically. He had, he had the support of, of the, the Jewish rulers at that time to persecute the early Christians. And then we find him on his way to Damascus. This is great. He's headed there to imprison more Christians, to gather them up. And Saul meets the Lord on the road to Damascus, the, the bright light. 
he turns in faith to Jesus Christ. He's baptized by a man named Ananias. And Ananias, the neat thing about him, he knew about Saul. And when God told Ananias, hey, you're going to baptize Saul, he was very hesitant because of Saul's reputation. Matter of fact, Acts 9, 15 and 16 says this. This is the Lord having a conversation with Ananias. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let me ask you this question. If you came forward today at the end of church to be baptized, and, and there'll be a response offered later, so you have that opportunity if you so desire. You come forward for baptism, and I say to you, I'm so glad you're here to get baptized. Um, now I will show you how much you will suffer for God's name. Would you still do it? Because that, that was basically Paul, Saul's conversion was that moment where Ananias is being told by God, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. And not only did Saul do it, he embraced it. He embraced his new name. He embraced his new calling to suffer for Jesus' name. The Bible tells us that after this experience, he attempted to persuade Jews and Christians alike about his life-changing conversion. But the problem with that, too many people remembered who he used to be. They remembered Saul, and many doubted him. Many even shunned him, kept him at arm's length. Oh, no, you're not tricking me to come in that house to hear you preach so you can arrest me. Uh-uh. That's how it went down. But Saul learned something. His message was for the Gentiles as well. And I need to tell you, uh, after that experience, as he was attempting to persuade these people and they were doubting him, there was one guy, a Christian man, his name was Barnabas. He accepted Saul, excuse me, he accepted Paul now, and he spoke up for him. And Paul and Barnabas became missionary partners on three separate missionary journeys, each about several years in length. I've been on a few missionary trips. The longest one was about 17 days. I don't know how I would do going on a several-year missionary journey. Um, that would be impressive. But they went on three different trips, several years in length, and Paul preached the news of Jesus in many cities, coastal cities, trade routes, towns. This morning, I'm going to present to you just a brief glimpse of these missionary journeys, or as I like to call them, Paul's adventures and missions. Our friend Darren Kroger from IDES, he's going to be a part of this illustration, like I said, and uh, he's going to share with you some things as well. Will you pray with me as we get started? Father God, I thank you that we can be here today. We can open your word. We can, we can read through the book of Acts and study and learn about men like Paul that, that came from, from, from such a place of negativity and, and persecution and, and in turn was, was one of the leading people to plant churches for you. I pray that as we, as we look at his adventures, as we look at how he led his life, that we too will be burdened with a desire to serve you as well as he did. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Paul's first ad adventure in missions can be found in the book of Acts, as I said, chapters 13 and 14. Now, I'm not going to read those to you because you wouldn't appreciate that. But I hope you will all read through these adventures this week. Uh, start in Acts 7 and just read through the book of Acts. There are some amazing things that have happened there. He's answering God's call to proclaim Christ. Paul and Barnabas left the church at Antioch in Syria. Now, at first, their method of evangelism was to preach in the town synagogues. But like I said, that many Jews rejected that message because of Paul. And the missionaries recognized God's call of witnessing to the Gentiles as well. Because of his bold testimony of Jesus, Saul the persecutor became Paul the persecuted. Again, it's amazing how God can transition us in our lives. So those who rejected his message of salvation through Jesus Christ 
actually tried to stop him. They tried to do harm to him. But Paul realized they weren't rejecting him. They were rejecting God and what God would have them do. And so he took all those rejections in stride. In one city, he was stoned. He was left for dead. Um, stoning is not something that is easy to mess up. When, when somebody has been stoned, I mean, they have thrown rocks on you. You're not moving. You, when they leave you, you are pretty much dead. And yet God delivered him through that. So he was stoned and left for dead, but God spared him. God wasn't done showing Paul how much he had to suffer for him. And so he allowed him to live through his first stoning. That blows my mind. He went through more trials and beatings and imprisonments, and he kept on preaching Christ. No matter what was thrown at him, he kept on. Our friends at Ides have seen trials. They've seen hard times as they've represented and responded to people in need throughout the world. Darren is going to share a little bit more about that at this time. Um, yeah, one of the things that comes to mind uh, as far as what we've experienced or, or seen through our missionaries around the globe is um, just the persecution that occurs that we take for granted uh, here in the United States that we can worship uh, unimpeded uh, without worry about somebody coming into our house and hauling us off to jail because uh, the fact that we own a Bible or that we are, are uh, having a Bible study or we're in church. Um, and the funny thing is there are stories that we have that we cannot share because of that type of persecution. That we you know, communicate with those missionaries and they are having secret church. You know, they are doing it um, where they can't be seen. They are communicating with each other, um, not publicly, uh, but very privately. And when they work with us and we help fund whatever their outreach is and support them through prayer and and uh, in the different manner that we do, is that we can't share that with all of you. That you have to take for, uh, you know, take us at our word that we are supporting those people because if we published a picture or if we published a name and we put it on our website, there is that opportunity that those folks could be found out and could lose their life because of their faith. You know... Paul's ministry to the Gentiles brought controversy like that over who could be saved, how they could be saved. And one of the things he did between his first and second missionary journeys, he participated in a conference in Jerusalem. They actually had conferences way back then. And he was part of this conference. And, and the, the focal point of this conference was that they discussed the way of salvation.
plays out in the midst of a natural disaster, how God uses Ides uh, to bring both physical and spiritual relief to those who have been affected with our natural disasters around the world. Well, and when we talk about uh, how God uses Ides, it's not just, um, you know, for those of you who don't know, there are 12 of us um, who are based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. That is the headquarters for Ides and our ministry outreach. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not just the 12 of us. It's our supporters. It's our supporting churches. Um, it is the volunteers that come and serve with us. Um, and, and there are times when, um, well, first off, you know, one of, one of the focus groups or focus areas that IDES has always had um, and will continue to have is evangelism. So it's a part of everything that we do. So whether we are banging nails or sawing up trees or mucking out somebody's house after a flood or building a storage shed in their backyard um, or sending uh, food to them or packing food, whatever it is, um, we are doing that to feed them spiritually as well and to share the gospel with them. Um, it's so long been a philosophy of mine, is, is, as I said before, if you show people God's love, grace, and mercy and expect nothing in, in return, at some point they'll ask you the question, why are you doing this? And you get to tell them, you know, and you get to, you get to start that story and have that conversation and share with them, um, you know, about Jesus' love and the fact that we are all called to be his hands and feet, um, that we are the physical representation of him in this world. And, uh, you know, I get, because I'm typically not in a golf shirt and slacks, I'm typically in a pair of Carhartts, a t-shirt, a ball cap, sweaty, stinky ball cap, and, uh, and a pair of beat-up boots, um, I'm usually swinging a hammer somewhere, or at least trying to, um, as it's been affectionately referred to as me herding cats. 
Uh, that's kind of what I do. Uh, those of you who have cats, I'm a dog person. Those of you who have cats understand what it's like to try to get cats to do what you want them to do. And they don't. They do whatever they want to do. Um, because you don't own them, they own you. Um, and, and trying to you know, direct uh, whatever our physical outreach is and remembering, I, get, I, I personally get tied up from time to time and I've got a job to do. I've got to get X done today. I have so many hours of daylight to do it. It's going to rain tomorrow, whatever it is. We've got to get this built, cut, delivered, whatever. And I forget sometimes that more importantly than swinging that hammer or sawing down that tree or mucking out that person's house is to spend five minutes with them to pray with them. And let them know that they're loved. And let them know that there's light at the end of the tunnel that the disaster was brought for a reason. And sometimes that reason is, uh, as Saul experienced, was to be thrown on your back. So the only way you have is to look up. So we try to always stay focused on the fact that we are not just helping people physically, but more importantly, helping them spiritually. And sometimes swinging that hammer is that open door to have that conversation with someone who would who I would pass on the street and not have that conversation, that opportunity to speak with. So that's what we do. Thank you. Paul continued traveling on to Athens. He he preached to an inquisitive audience on Mars Hill, if you will. He he proclaimed the only true God whom they could know and worship without man made idols. Again, some sneered and some believed. Paul taught those who believed in Christ and he established them in churches. And during the second missionary journey, he made many disciples from all backgrounds. A young man named Timothy, a businesswoman named Lydia, uh, the married couple Aquila and Priscilla, to name a few. But he wasn't done there. During Paul's third missionary adventure, which you can read about in Acts chapter 18 and 20, he preached in Asia Minor. God confirmed his message with miracles. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12 tells us that at Troas, Paul is preaching an exceptionally long sermon. One to the likes you all will never have to experience. A young man named Eutychus was raised from the dead during this revival, if you will. And uh, I want to read that to you. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. You all are blessed. <laughs> there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. I just think it's funny when some of you kind of half fall out of your seat when you fall asleep because you get nudged. But out of a third story window, verse 10, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. A young man is sitting in an upstairs windowsill, went to sleep, fell out of the window. He was thought to be dead, but Paul revived him. There's an illustration. Can you do? No, never mind. Um, it's impressive. Once involved in, in the occult, the new believers at Ephesus came and burned their magic books. They got rid of the sorcery. They got rid of the sin in their life. That was good for them, but the idol makers, on the other hand, were not pleased with this. 
They were at a loss of business on account of this one true God and His Son that Paul brought into their area, into their community. So angry to the point that a silversmith named Demetrius started a citywide riot, praising their goddess Diana. And, and, and it's just everywhere Paul went, trials followed him. Persecution and, and opposition ultimately strengthened the true Christians as they spread the gospel. At the end of Paul's third missionary journey, he knew that he would soon be imprisoned and probably killed. But he didn't stop. He sat down and he wrote his final words to a church at Ephesus, which display his devotion to Christ. And that's in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 24. He says, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through, plots, through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from, the, from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, that bonds and affliction await me. He says, But I do not consider myself, my life, on any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. When I read that verse, when I read these verses about Paul, I think about our mission partners from IDES. When these men and women get the phone call that they're going to a certain place to bring relief, and, and Darren talked in Sunday school about how at his house he has a bag and a pair of boots and that stinky ball cap that are waiting by the door when he gets a call. And when they get that call, they truly, they may know where they're going, but they don't know what's going to happen to them when they get there because people respond differently when they lose everything. Darren's got one more mashup for us about how IDE staff and IDE volunteers are ready to go, even though they don't always know what they're getting into. Go ahead, Darren. Well, I think some of you probably uh, remember the passage where um, we are told that Jesus will return as a thief in the night, that we will not know when he's coming back, that we need to be prepared at all times, and that we're all called to be prepared at all times to share our story with whoever might ask. Um, so those are my two challenges that uh, um, you know, I go to bed with every night and I wake up with every morning is that uh, I don't know where I'm going to go. And I, and I joke about it with people that I fall asleep watching the Weather Channel and I wake up watching the Weather Channel. Um, and you know, I try to get some idea based on um, uh, some crazy people that you may have seen on uh, the Discovery Channel at some point, if you all have ever heard of a guy named Reed Timmer. Um, he is a storm chaser and so I follow Reed all the time, and it's like, okay, Reed may be telling me where I'm headed next, depending upon what happens. Um, you know, I do try to be prepared, and we don't always know where we're going to go, what we're going to do, what we're going to see. Um, we, we certainly rely on God's providence, uh, support of um, his faithful flock that have supported us over the years, of which you are a, an integral part. Um, but, you know, the cool thing in, in the not knowing is the stuff that you don't expect and God shows up. Okay, I'm going to get through two really quick stories. 
but I think they'll illustrate that. Um, and I hope I relate them well enough so that you can kind of experience in the, in the way that I did. Um, both happened in Colorado two falls ago, uh, about the same time of the year, Colorado, Estes Park, Longmont, um, north of Boulder, all had horrible flooding. Uh, they took four days worth of, uh, in four days, they had about a year's worth of rain that hit them. Um, and it was warm enough that it didn't freeze, so there was no snow. Um, and Estes Park became the island on top of the mountain. Washed out almost every road. Um, killed multiple people. Washed away multiple homes. Um, left a very large area from really Fort Collins in the northeast of Colorado down to Boulder and up to Estes Park at the entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park. Devastated. Um, first time I've ever gone into a disaster area where there had been an actual gunfight. Okay? So because the town was cut off, um, they had airlifted, or they were airlifting multiple individuals from neighboring communities to safe zones. Um, in what I would refer to as the low country, um, but I was quickly corrected, that is the front range. You have the mountains and the front range. Um, and I'm a lowlander because I live at, like, sea level, okay? Um, but anyway, th these people were being airlifted out, communities that were being loaded on helicopters and were being airlifted to one of three locations with no idea where they were going to go next. They would airlift you from your home. You were able to grab one bag. Um, I know there were a lot of stories about arguments about pets and how many pets and what you could bring with you. But we're going to airlift, airlift you to one of three locations. Um, LifeBridge um, uh, Christian Church in Longmont um, is a big church, big Christian church out there, a partner of ours in the, in the Brotherhood. And um, they were one of the, the locations where people were being brought. Um, imagine if you were told to leave your home, you're going to be airlifted um, 100 miles away, um, no car, uh, a bag, and Okay, we'll feed you, we'll give you water, we'll give you shelter, we'll give you showers, um, but we don't know what's going to happen to you after that. Um, more than half the population in those affected areas decided to stay. They, were, they would rather deal with the situation there, not being able to get in and out, um, than be transported away from their homes, not knowing when they would be able to return. Um, LifeBridge became a hub of activity with multiple agencies providing, uh, along with us, providing food, shelter, water, um, and ministry to the folks who had been displaced. Um, as this was occurring, and it's like an anthill, there are all kinds of things happening all over the place. Lots of activity, vehicles coming in and out, semi-tractor trailers coming in and out, provisions that need to be offloaded, helicopters still flying in and out. And um, uh, one of the ministers shared the story with me that... Um, elderly man came up to him and put his arm around him, looked around the crowd and said, you know, what's happened outside with the flooding, that is an act of nature. But what's happening inside this church where people are loving and serving others in the name of Christ, that is the act of God. And if you don't think reaching out to others makes a difference, this is my final story. 
So in the midst of all that, still in Colorado, uh, sending out work teams to help clean up people's homes, their yards, uh, try to repair some of the damage to their homes if their homes are still standing. Uh, work teams had been working around this neighborhood and had been working at a, at a certain lady's house and had reached out to a neighboring uh, retired gentleman um, who was by himself, had taken severe damage to his property, um, and they went over to offer his, him their help. Um, we as men, hi, I'm a big stupid man, um, full of pride and other garbage, um, we don't want to accept help. We want to think we can take care of it on our own. And so he refused, kindly, politely, refused help. Several days went on, and um, they were back in the neighborhood, could see that this, this man was still struggling. So they offered a second time, and again, politely refused a second time. Um, two days later, decided to go back, and one last time offer him their help. And he broke down. And he said, I'm really glad you guys came back. He said, I was going to look for you today. He said, I'm by myself. I have no insurance. I have no family. I had no idea how I was going to recover from this. But the pride in me stopped me from taking your help. And he said, last night I had a gun in my mouth. And I remembered you, sorry, I remember you offering your help and had your phone number. I was going to call you. And he said, because of remembering what you guys were willing to do for me, I put the gun away. So if you ever don't think that you're helping somebody physically or spiritually by just offering your help, whatever it is, big, little, physical, spiritual, um, you never know what the other person is struggling with. And that's when God shows up. And that's it. Yeah. You know, the other thing is that repeatedly, sometimes we think, well, I've already talked to Bill at the office. I don't want to talk to him anymore. Now I'll go talk to him again. some point, He's going to remember your conversation. God's going to show up. You know, the purpose of all of Paul's missionary journeys was the same. Proclaiming God's grace and forgiving sin through Christ. God used Paul's ministry, those, those adventures and missions, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and establish the church. I did some looking on the interweb, as I like to call it, and... I found that the purpose of IDES has remained the same since 1972, when Milton Bates, who was the founder, saw on the news the country of Bangladesh. This nation had, had already been devastated by civil war, and then it was hit both by a typhoon and a tidal wave. The reporter pointed to an elderly gentleman lying in the street with nothing but a thin sheet to cover him and asked, won't somebody help these people? Milton began to cry and questioned to his family. Where is the Christian church? Where is the church of Christ? We have the truth of the gospel and claim to be the church of the New Testament pattern 
Why aren't we sharing the love of Jesus with these suffering people? And out of that question came Ides. Over 40 years later, they're still answering that question with action. Paul's letters to the churches recorded in the New Testament still support church life and doctrine today. I want to encourage you to read through Acts this week and ask God as you're reading through Acts how He would have you serve and reach out to others. The answer you get may surprise you. Milton worked for GE. He, he was an engineer type. And, and through the whole time that he started IDES, he continued to work for GE and in his spare time developed the concept of IDES and meet with other Christian men to get this foundation started. As you read through the book of Acts this week, ask God what he would have you do to serve and reach out to others. It may surprise you. I don't know what God will have you do for his kingdom, but I can promise you this, and so can Milton. It will definitely be an adventure. As we come to our response time this morning, maybe you're ready to start that adventure for the first time by submitting to Jesus Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in that place where God is just calling you to do something and you're not sure how to start or what to do and you just need prayer for something that's going on in your life. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. We have a private place in the library set up for that. Maybe you'd like to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church. Get involved in, in some of our adventures and missions as we serve our community, as we reach out to other people across the world. Whatever your response is this morning, will you stand and sing with us and respond to God's word? It's been great to be here with you all this morning and to have Darren come and share with us from IDES. He's going to be out front um, here to, to share some more. If any of you happen to go to Ruth's Chris, he loves steak. Um, you know, take him along. That's a, yeah, okay. No complaints there. Now it's time to go. And I want you to think about Paul's missionary journeys. Although they, they caused him to sacrifice everything, they were worth the cost. He reminds us of that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, when he says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As you go this week, seek out the true worth of knowing Christ. Allow that knowledge to lead you on the adventure of a lifetime. Will you sing this last song with us? <laughs>